following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat, no wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding... And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face to the ground, and I was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. So this uh, chapter, chapter 10 of Daniel, it really forms a unit. Uh, chapter 10, 11, and 12 are all one unit within Daniel. They, they all comprise the final vision that Daniel receives in the book, the third and final vision. And this chapter we're looking at, chapter 10, is really just the introduction to that. So the main vision that this angel is going to give Daniel, that comes in chapter 11. That's going to be next time. This is all just the introduction to that vision. The angel hasn't even really got to the main content of what he's going to say yet. But there is so much interesting stuff in this chapter that I wanted to stop here for a week and look at this because there are some insights that we get in this chapter in Daniel 10 that we get nowhere else in the Bible. There are some things we learn about this world beyond our world. 
in this chapter that we don't learn anywhere else in the Bible. So it's worth just camping out here a little bit and unpacking this because there is some absolute gold here. So in verse 5, Daniel receives a visitation. He is visited by this, this figure, this stunningly dressed and uh, stunning appearance. Uh, he says this figure looked like a man, but everything about him is radiant and brilliant and glorious. He has these, these radiant clothes. His body is like an Olympic athlete. His face is luminescent. His voice is like the voice of a multitude. Everything about him just radiates. It is glory. It is brilliant. It is majestic. In fact, the appearance of this figure is so luminescent that, that some people have supposed maybe this is Jesus. Speaking to Daniel here, maybe this is actually Jesus who, who, has, who has appeared to him. I think there are some things that this, this figure says to Daniel later in the chapter that call that into question. They're not the kind of things that Jesus would say. I think it's more likely that Dan, Daniel here is visited by an angel, that this is a glorious and powerful angel, perhaps one of the top-ranking angels. Maybe some people think it's Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, although he's not named this angel, so we don't know. But most likely, this is an angelic figure who appears to Daniel. And on the way to delivering this vision to Daniel in chapter 11, he says some fascinating things. Almost in passing, he says a few things to Daniel that just give us this tantalizing glimpse and draw us into this world beyond our world. Listen to verse 12 again. He continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Now that raises all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Who is this prince of the Persian kingdom? How does he manage to resist this person over here? Uh, who's this person, Michael, that he talks about later on who comes to help him? There's all sorts of pieces to the puzzle here. It could be quite confusing. Let's just take this step at a time, all right? So the picture we get here from this angel and from this chapter is that reality is comprised of two dimensions, okay, two realms or two spheres, if you like. There is the physical realm and there is the spiritual realm. The physical realm is the realm that we inhabit. This is the realm we're sitting in right now. Here we are in a gymnasium. The physical realm is what you can see and perceive with your senses. We experience it. It's your working, eating, sleeping, talking, normal life, right? That's the physical realm. But alongside the physical realm, there is a spiritual realm. It's not way out there somewhere, it's not distant. It's not far off and disconnected. It's all around us. It's here. The spiritual realm just sits right alongside the physical realm. It's separated only by a thin veneer from the physical realm. So as we sit here this morning in a gym and you're listening to me talk and you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about and you're looking around, this is the physical world, but we need to appreciate all around us right now there is a, a spiritual realm. There's an unseen spiritual realm, but it's very real. It's just invisible most of the time to our eyes. But there is constant interplay between the physical dimension and the spiritual dimension. It's like a parallel reality. There's this constant back and forwards throughout the Bible, in our own lives, in our own day. What happens in the spiritual realm deeply affects what goes on in the physical realm. And things that happen in the physical realm affect things in the spiritual realm. And so we need to be aware of how this works. The spiritual realm is very real. It's full of life. There are two primary types of beings that exist in the spiritual realm. There are angels and there are demons. And I know for some of you this is going to sound a little bit sci-fi this morning. I'm not really into sci-fi. 
not a big sci-fi kind of guy. So I've got no vested interest in making this sound more sci-fi than it needs to be, okay? But I'm just going to try and present the biblical perspective on how all this works, okay? We talk about angels and demons. You're probably already thinking about the movie. You're thinking about Tom Hanks. But let's try and put aside the popular pictures of angels and demons that we have. We get, we get pictures from movies, uh, illustrations, things that we've heard, things that we've been taught. We tend to have caricatures of these figures and beings in our mind, but it's healthy to come back to Scripture and try to understand, well, who are these beings and what do they do? And the great thing is, in Daniel 10, we meet both of them. We meet angels and we hear about demons. And so it's a good chapter to do a little study on who these beings are and how they influence and affect our lives. So firstly, angels. This figure who appears to Daniel is most likely to be an angel. And we get a good understanding from the way that he interacts with Daniel of what angels do and what their role is and how they operate in the world. Have a look at some of the things this angel does. In verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So this angel, Daniel is lying flat on his face and this angel comes and raises him up. So now he's on all fours. He's not on his feet yet, but this angel is lifting him up. This angel is raising him up. It's giving him strength. And then over in verse 16, the one who looked like a man touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and began to speak. So the angel's empowering Daniel, opening his mouth, enabling him to talk. And then in verse 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong So this angel has a role of strengthening Daniel and empowering Daniel. It's a pretty good description of who angels are. Angels are heavenly beings. They are sent by God. They're answerable to God. And they are sent by him to encourage and to protect and to empower God's people. They've got a lot of other roles, but their primary role is to support and to encourage and to empower God's people, those who love and follow Jesus. That's us. So this is a stunning truth in Scripture that there is an entire order of beings that exist to support us, to empower us, and to encourage us. And God dispatches His angels to give strength to those who are struggling and to to lift up those who are downcast and to give power to those who are a bit powerless and to encourage those who are faint-hearted and discouraged, and to advocate for those who are defenseless, and to protect those who are in danger, and to come and walk alongside those who need some encouragement and some shepherding, similar to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? But God has these angels that He will send to, to assist us and to support us and to, and to aid us in our lives. And most of the time, we're not even mindful of this. We're not even mindful of the fact there is an entire order of beings who are there to serve us and support us in our faith, in our life as we journey through this world. But they are there and they are working. We just don't see them because most of the time they don't do what this one does and cross right over into the physical realm to become visible like this one did to Daniel. Most of the time they're unseen. But you've got no idea how many times an angel may have been ministering to you and you've been blindly unaware of it. Who's to say there's not a time in your life where you've had some kind of near miss and God didn't send an angel in that moment to steer you away, steer someone else away so that disaster was narrowly averted and you just carried on blissfully unaware of it. You've got no idea how close you were, but maybe an angel stepped in in that moment. We don't know. And I know you can, you, can, you can object and protest and say, well, what about all the times I wasn't protected? What about all the bad things that happened? Where were the angels then? But we've got no idea how many other times We were so close to tragedy, disaster, defeat, and God sent his angels. 
and something was averted and something was avoided. We've got no idea how many times angels have been sent just to lift us up a little bit when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling defeated and despondent. We don't know what's happening. We don't know where it comes from. But maybe that was an angel sent in that moment to strengthen and to encourage. They're not only sent to really important people and major biblical figures like Daniel. They're sent to you and I. I've written in my journal, verse 19, because I think these words are so profound and so encouraging. And I say them. In the last couple of weeks, I've been saying these words to myself. And I imagine one of God's angels standing beside me, speaking these words to me, because I believe these words are just as relevant to us as they were to Daniel. The angel says, do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Don't we need to hear that? Don't we need to be encouraged by that? Can you imagine one of God's angels just sitting beside you now, speaking that into your life? Speaking that into your heart? Isn't that empowering? Doesn't that just lift your spirits a little bit? We have these angelic spirits who are there to nurture and help us because we need help. And life is hard and we need support and God knows and that's why the angels are there. And when we're aware of these beings and we get it out of the kind of fantasy sci-fi world and we recognize these are real beings and they have a real purpose in this world, it'll enrich your prayer life. It'll enrich your Christian walk because now you're praying for your kids at night and you're praying that God would send his angels to camp out by their bedsides and protect them through the night. You see, there's a whole dimension that's opened up to us. We're not just praying that God would be with us. We're praying that he would dispatch his angel armies to fight for us. We think about our church. We think about the opportunities ahead of us. We think about the ministry we desire to do. We need to be praying that God would send his angelic armies ahead of us to open the way, to prepare hearts, to open doors, to create opportunities that his word might go forth, that the gospel might be proclaimed, that hearts might be opened, right? This is what angels will do. The angelic armies of Yahweh, our divine warrior, they will go before us. But we need to be praying that they will. When you pray for people that you know, people who are struggling, people who are broken, broken, people who are hurting, we can be praying that God would send his angels to comfort and to lift them up and to do just what this angel does for Daniel in verse 19 and speak to them, peace, you who are highly esteemed, do not be afraid, be strong now. Be strong. We pray for the people that are struggling around us this morning, that they would hear those words spoken to them. Angels have a mighty role to play in our lives and in the biblical story. We need to become aware of it. You probably won't become aware of their presence. You'll never fully know whether an angel is right there or not or how all this works because we're just not given eyes to see into the spiritual realm in that way. But we can pray and we can ask and we can know that God does send his angels to help and to support us. Now, alongside angels, there are these other beings that we meet in this chapter. This is the darker side of this chapter, these beings called demons. We only encounter them indirectly, really, in this chapter, uh, in passing, in this passing reference, uh, in verse 13, where this angel says to Daniel, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, the question is, who is this king of Persia? Well, it's not likely to be the actual king, the physical earthly king of Persia, because here he is fighting against an angel. He's he's somehow able to detain an angel for three weeks. I don't know of any person who's able to detain an angel for three weeks. This is not something that's going to be said of a human being. Most likely, this king of Persia or this prince of the Persian kingdom is some kind of demon. 
some kind of dark spiritual being. And this takes us into the reality of who demons are. I know this can get a bit weird and sound scary perhaps, but it's simply part of the biblical story and we don't need to be scared. Just like angels are sent by God and report to him, demons are sent by Satan, the prince of demons, the prince of darkness, God's adversary and enemy. And they are sent to do his bidding. And they're sent really to frustrate the work of God, to agitate the work of God. And there's a couple of interesting insights that we get in these verses about how demons work in the world. One of them is that it seems like demons don't just agitate God's work on earth, but they also fight against the angels. Because this demon is detaining an angel. And again, it blows your mind, doesn't it, to think of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Here's an angel that was sent to Daniel, but it takes him three weeks to get there because he was detained by this demon. We've got no idea what's going on in the spiritual realm, do we? We see things happening or not happening in the world. Who knows? You're sitting in a cafe, drinking a flat white, having a conversation. You've got no idea what kind of spiritual battle is unfolding in the spiritual realm. It's mind-blowing. But demons somehow have this role of opposing God's angelic forces because that's one of the ways they can frustrate God's purposes is to hold up what he's sending his angels to do. And the other interesting little glimpse that we get here is this idea that somehow this demon has a particular focus on the kingdom of Persia. And it suggests that maybe, maybe, uh, demons in some way do have a particular geographic focus. Now, we need to be careful with this. Some Christians have taken this idea and they've run a million miles with it, as we are sometimes want to do. And uh, Christians have got into all this stuff around spiritual mapping and territorial spirits. And we tried to create this sort of map of where the different spirits are located and who's the demon of Birkenhead and who's the demon of Northcote. You know, and then when you've identified them, then you can rebuke them and so on. And it's just going way beyond what we find here in Daniel 10. We wish we knew more about it, but we don't. We only get a tantalizing little glimpse into how this stuff works. And we've just got to be prepared to not go beyond what the Bible actually reveals. We don't know much. It may be that some demons do have a particular focus on a particular area, just as it may be that some angels have a particular focus on a particular area. Maybe, we don't know. The main thing is there is a battle going on. This is what we've got to wake up to. There is an almighty cosmic battle going on between the demonic armies of Satan and the angelic armies of God. And that battle is raging all around us right now. We don't see it, but it's going on. And that battle is being fought over our lives, ultimately. Our lives are the battlefield. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, uh, and it's this fiction book where he writes from the perspective of a senior demon called Screwtape. And he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood, who's a junior demon, uh, who's responsible for a person who has just become a Christian and trying to influence them away from Jesus. It's fascinating to read because you sort of have to read it with a bit of reverse psychology, and you're reading from the, from the perspective of these demons strategizing as to how they're going to lure this new convert away from Christ. I'll read you just a paragraph so you get the feel for it. So this is, uh, this is Screwtape writing to Wormwood. Like all other young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember... The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. And of course, by enemy, they're talking about Jesus. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, 
without signposts. It's a really imaginative book, but very helpful in just help, helping us not to be naive to the fact that we, we're not just living a neutral life. We're not just living this kind of existence where, oh, well, things will just turn out however they're going to turn out and, we, and life just rolls along. No, there's a huge battle that's going on. And there are forces of darkness at work that are seeking to drag us away from the light. And Satan will fight dirty and he will expose whatever weaknesses we have and he will exploit them and he will try and take us down however he possibly can. It's why Jesus says, the thief comes to destroy and kill and steal. That's what he does. That's what he's doing and that's what he's sending his demons to do right now in your life. That may look like a whole lot of different things, but that's his agenda. And yet Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it in abundance. And so we need to place this chapter of Daniel in the context of the whole biblical story. We can't just leave it in Daniel chapter 10. And in particular, we have to look at it in view of Jesus because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has made a tremendous difference to this spiritual battle. Let me take you over to a verse in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, sorry, verse 15. This is Paul now describing what happened when Jesus died and the difference it's made to the spiritual battle. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, that's the language of Roman military conquest. That's exactly what the Romans would do when they defeated a country and their army. They would get the most important people from that country. They'd string them up in a parade. They'd humiliate them, drag them through the city, eventually into the arena where they'd be beheaded. And Paul's using that kind of language to say, this is what Jesus has done to the powers of darkness. This is what Jesus has done to the demons. He is the victor. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus has defeated the power of Satan. He's defeated the evil one. He's robbed him of his power. He's robbed him of his authority. He's robbed him of his territory. He's robbed him of his ultimate hold that he has on this world. And because Jesus has defeated the evil one, he's also defeated all the demons of Satan who report to him. And he has made it certain that one day Satan and his forces will be thrown into hell and destroyed forever. Yes, Satan is still a very real presence in the world. The Bible says he still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Yes, demons are still very real in our world today. But we've got to understand when we think about the spiritual battle that this is not an even playing field now. It's not just this uncertain outcome with angels fighting demons and God fighting Satan and we don't know where it's going to go and it's an even playing field. No, Jesus has won the victory and the angelic forces and those of us who belong to Jesus, we are now on the winning side of this battle. And we're not so much fighting a battle as we are outworking the victory of Christ. And this is all going to lead to the day when Christ returns and evil will be vanquished. Satan destroyed, his demons destroyed and completely done away with. That's where it's heading. So the angels of God are outworking this victory in the world, and we just need to remember that that's the lay of the land. It's not just this uncertain thing, but Christ has the power, and he has the victory. His name is far more powerful than the name of the evil one who opposes us. That's why the Bible says, greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. Those who are with us and for us are greater than those who are against us. That should, that should encourage us. That should give us strength. But this battle is still very real. Even though Jesus has come, the, the spiritual battle is still very real, and we've got to understand how to respond to it. I think there's a couple of extremes that we can go to that we need to avoid here. One is that we've got to avoid the tendency to over-spiritualize everything. You can get so carried away with all this that we start seeing a demon around every corner, 
Everything's demonic. Everything's the work of Satan. And you, I mean, we all know someone like this, don't we? Let's not name names, but we all know, you know, and they kind of, it's everything's rebuking the devil. They're always talking to the devil for some reason. You know, it's devil, you get out of here, and devil, you're going to do this, and devil, off you go. And they, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm speaking with a Southern American accent, but that's somehow some sort of association there. But this is, this is often how it is, right? And, and, and there's this kind of taking on the demons and taking on Satan ourselves. And that's not really what we're called to do. Uh, we've got to remember that when we, when we look at problems in our lives, look at problems in other people's lives and in the world, pro- these problems are multifaceted. Okay, So there are all of these spiritual forces at work, but there are also psychological factors, economic factors, historical factors, personality factors, relationship factors, and so on and so forth. If we only see this in terms of angels and demons, we are going to get so carried away, and we are going to drift into kind of a a bit of a fantasy land. But on the other hand, we've also got to avoid the opposite extreme, which is under-spiritualizing things. And I suspect that for those of us in the developed world, this is the greater temptation, that we tend to under-appreciate how real and how potent these forces and powers really are. So when we look at someone with addiction, we're very quick to look at the clinical factors, the psychology, the pathology, the history, and so on, but are we willing to recognize there is a spiritual battle going on for the life of that person? That there are powers of darkness and powers of light at work, and that person is bound and entangled and trapped, and the evil one has his claws into their life And that's the nature of what is going on, just as much as the psychology, the pathology, and the history, and so on. Are we willing to see those dimensions? When you see a family that is just broken, a marriage busted up, and the the kids becoming the collateral damage and all of this, are we willing to recognize there's a spiritual battle going on for that family? There's a spiritual battle going on for that marriage, and we cannot just look at the natural factors. We cannot purely look at the natural causes. We've got to appreciate that Satan has an agenda, that his demons have an agenda. And one of their most clever tactics is to convince us that they don't exist or are unimportant and irrelevant. Satan loves to be anonymous. He's got no desire to push himself forward so you recognize him. Otherwise, we'd do something about it. He wants to be as background as possible in your life so that you attribute everything else to a whole lot of other things besides the spiritual forces that are at work. We've got to open our eyes to see There are spiritual battles being fought. And we don't need to understand all the dynamics to simply appreciate the fact that there are the armies of God and the armies of Satan and that war is being waged over lives and marriages and families all around us all the time. We've got to open our eyes to this. And so there's, let me, let me mention a couple of things that we can do in this regard. One thing not to do, first of all, is that we don't need to take on Satan and demons directly. You don't see Daniel doing that in this chapter. When the angel says to Daniel that he's been detained three weeks by this demon, you don't hear Daniel going, right, oh, let me, let me have it. Let me, let me go out. I'm going to take this demon down. I'm going to rebuke him. I'm going to rebuke the devil. Daniel doesn't get all charged up and go and fight the battle directly himself. He's happy leaving that to the angel. So we don't need to take on Satan directly because the reality is Satan is far more powerful than you are, but he's far less powerful than Jesus. That's the key. So you don't have a hope, but Jesus does. So what are we going to do? Cling to Jesus. That's our, we just got to be running to the cross. We're going to be running to Jesus, 
clinging to his name because that's where the power is. It's not in you. It's not in your bravado. It's not in you saying the right words to cast the right demon out or being able to name that demon, whatever. No, it's about Jesus and his power. So the best thing we can do is exactly what Daniel did, and that's pray. Look at the words of this angel to Daniel. He says in verse 12, Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to them. What words are we talking about? Words of prayer. Daniel's words to God. If you don't think prayer is important, if you don't think prayer is powerful, have another read of Daniel chapter 10. Daniel prays and God dispatches his angels to give this revelation to Daniel and bring strength into Daniel's life. Prayer is our most powerful weapon. Of course, the evil one wants to convince you that it doesn't work and it's not important and it's a waste of time. Of course, that's his agenda. Prayer is the most powerful weapon we have and especially prayer that is grounded in the Word of God. Put those two things together, prayer and Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, as it's described in Ephesians. That's our weapon and that's our role. When we pray, God releases His power into the spiritual battle. When we pray, God sends His angel armies When we pray, God acts, maybe not always in the way that we want him to act, but when we pray, God acts. And this is the role that we have in the spiritual battle, is to pray. The more aware that we become of the presence of angels in this world, the more aware that we become of the presence of demons in this world, the more aware we are of the spiritual battle, the more it should drive us to our knees to pray and intercede for others' lives and families and marriages and communities, because this is our weapon and this is our role to stand in the gap and pray and honestly as I've studied this passage my eyes have been opened again to the spiritual realm that exists that we so easily lose sight of because we get distracted by life but it has driven me to prayer I think of my boys I think of my three boys and I've got a desire for them to know Jesus I want them to know him but this has made me appreciate the fact you know there's there's an evil one who does not want them to know Jesus It's not like just this, oh, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And let's just let them make their own decision. Of course, they've got their choices to make, but we are naive if we don't think there is a spiritual battle going on for the lives of our children. And what should that do to us? Drive us to pray, right? It's driving me to pray for my boys. And I know, yes, they've got their decisions, but I want to pray that Jesus places his hand on their life and claims them for his kingdom, claims them for his glory and sends the evil one away and does not allow him to get his claws into them in any way possible. It's driving me to pray for my boys. You think about the temptations we face in our lives. Think about the things, the habits that we've all got. You know, we've all got these things, unhealthy ways of speaking, thinking, acting, those things that are just tripping us up in life. Those habits that are just causing spiritual apathy, things that right now are stopping you from growing spiritually just leading to spiritual laziness, leading to spiritual dryness in your life. You think that's just kind of the result of natural forces and causes and life just taking whatever twists and turns? Do you not realize there is an evil one who is trying to claim you for himself? We need to be praying the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because he's the one who stands behind all of our temptations. We're so quick to see the natural causes, but do we realize there is an evil one who wants to drag us away from the light? 
And, you know, honestly, when you get that sense that there is actually, there are powers of darkness at work here and Satan's trying to get in and he's trying to exploit every little weakness that he can in your life, he knows what buttons to press. He knows how to get you when you're tired. He knows how to get you when you're at your weakest. He knows. And when I recognize that, it actually makes me more motivated not to let it happen. Because I recognize, well, I'm not just going to go with it then. I want to stand against it. I want to pray. I want to ask for the power of Jesus in my life. I want to be transformed. I want to be filled again by his Holy Spirit. I need greater strength for this battle. I need him to strengthen me with his angels. It motivates me to pursue holiness and ask for God's strength in resisting temptation. You think about the lives of people that you know, and we all know people right now who are struggling and just doing it hard, really slogging it out, and life is really hard for them. Are you willing to get on your knees and intercede for them? That's where you do your fighting, on your knees. Are you willing to write out some verses of Scripture and pray those verses for people that you know who are having hard times? And yes, of course, that, that should never stop us helping them and practically supporting, doing all of the other things that we may be doing. It's got to be holistic. But are you willing to pray? Are you willing to stand in the gap and commit to praying for them that God might push back the darkness, pierce the darkness, and roll out his kingdom? in their lives. Are you willing to pray, thy kingdom come? If you don't know what else to pray for them, that's fine. Just pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come into their life. Thy kingdom come into this situation. Thy kingdom come into this family, into this home, into this hospital room, into this school, wherever it is. Thy kingdom come. The more aware that we are of the spiritual dimension and what is going on there, the more it should drive us to our knees in prayer. Because prayer is powerful and effective. There's a story in the Bible about Elisha. And Elisha's servant one day got up. He went to the top of the hill and he looked out and there was this foreign army camped out around one of the Israelite cities, ready to attack. And the servant came racing back to Elisha and said, what are we going to do? He was terrified. And Elisha just prayed, open his eyes, Lord. And the servant looked up and he saw on the hills surrounding them, the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire, the angel armies of God. Couldn't normally see them, but in that moment, God opened his eyes to see what was already there, the angel armies of God surrounding his people, protecting, defending and going before them. May God open our eyes, even now, that we would just get the smallest glimpse into the spiritual realm to see and perceive what is happening. May we be aware that around us, around our families, around our church, and around our communities, if we would just lift up our eyes to see the hills are full of horses and chariots of fire, the angel armies of God are there. And as Elisha said, those who are with us are far more and far greater than those who stand against us. May we see the powers of light and darkness. May we pray. That's our role in the battle. And may we keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus because he is the victor and he has the power. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, Or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. 
Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.